0: Uh, If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them and turn to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read from Genesis 32 this morning. As you turn there, I just want to remind you guys that uh, next Sunday we have baptisms, and if you would like to be baptized or like to know more about that, you can take, uh, there's a uh, connect card in the seat back in front of you, you can fill that out, put how we can contact you, put baptism on it and slip it in the giving station and we'll be sure to to contact you and follow up with you and, and, um, get this all worked out. You know, as, uh, just preparing for, uh, today, I just simple little pastoral messages. I just interact with people. I, I find whether it's with youth and teenagers who are hitting new stages of life and trying to navigate that to whether it's how people that have walked with the Lord for 20, 30 years. I find in a lot of conversations lately this idea of just shame and guilt. Just like it's, it's always there and kind of chipping away. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, maybe see how we can handle it in a, in a healthy way this morning. So we're going to talk about limping disciples. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start at verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. Said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Like, I'm going to steal. Two. We're good? All right. Jesus. (laughs) Hello? Well, I just want to pause right quick and say, I am so thankful for our sound, guys. Because usually when there's a problem, it's never their fault. It's one of our faults. So thank you, guys. Keep at it. Appreciate you. Don't hold the bottom. See there? It was my fault. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called uh, the name of the place, Penel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Lord, we just bless the reading of your word. We ask that your word would go deep into us this morning. You would meet with us deep unto deep, and may, Holy Spirit, by your help, you touch us, encounter us, transform us. Lord, I just take a moment, and I pray for our, our children this morning. I pray that you would give them a heart to know you and to walk in your ways. May they gaze upon your beauty all the days of their life. I bless those that are serving them now, and I pray And here, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as a pastor, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. And I want to just share with you, I couldn't help but think of him as I was preparing and reading this passage, but... Uh, about 15 years ago, I, I was a, as a young pastor, I met a man who was then in his 80s. He's gone home to be with Jesus. He was probably one of the most interesting people I've ever met. He had a Ph.D. from Columbia in education. He had fought in two wars, World War II and the Korean War. He knew three languages. He lived in Italy for a year. And then he had spent visiting months uh, at a time over, the, over about a 20-year period in different areas of West Africa. He was highly cultured, always a man dressed to the hilt. I mean, he was just always professional and excellent and spoke very clearly and precisely. So you can imagine my surprise when I found out he loved wrestling. Not like Olympic-style wrestling. He liked like WWE stomp-down wrestling. I went to visit him one time, and he made me sit quietly until the undertaker finished what he was doing on the wrestling match. It's a rerun, and I sat there and watched it with him, and the delight in his eyes when somebody got hit with a folding chair was just, I just, it, it just did not work in my brain, you know what I mean? Like, how does a guy, you know, like, it just doesn't fit, and I couldn't help but think of him, and I couldn't help but think of what it looked like for, you know, you know Jacob and God wrestling, and, and you know, God pile-driving Jacob. That just seems like, that would be funny to me. Jacob wrestled with God. I, I, I don't know all that that means. But I do know this. When God touches Jacob's hip, he's not doing it to show how powerful he is. He's far more powerful than that. He could, you know, explode Jacob with a thought. He could turn him into a pumpkin. You know, he could do whatever he wants. He touches Jacob's hip not to show him the extent of his power. He touches Jacob's hip to show him his wounding power. As if to say, looky here, sport, (laughs) I've just been playing with you. Jacob's name means supplanter, manipulator. Now that I think of it, what a wonderful name to name your child, isn't it? Imagine a mother looking over in the crib and seeing a beautiful, chubby face and going, well, you're a conniving little rat. I will call you Jacob. His name, whatever that means, supplanter, manipulator, his life was like that. He, He lived with a manipulating mother. He had a dad that made it really clear he preferred his older brother. He was constantly trying to prove himself. He, he cheats his blind dad later on in life in cahoots with his mother, right? He steals his brother's birthright with a, a pot of stew. Not only that, he, he marries two, not only uh, two women, he marries uh, sisters. <laughs> that caused all kinds of problems. And not only that, he cheated his, his father-in-law by manipulating the herds, if you remember that story. And now Jacob's life at this point is not getting any better. He's about to have a confrontation with his older brother Esau who wants to kill him. His wife's about to die, and his father's about to die. He's, he has all of this going on, and it might actually be all of these difficulties of his life that leads him to wrestle with God. He is deeply insecure about his future and himself, and he wrestles with God. Now, just to be clear, when you wrestle with God, you don't ever win. Nobody's spiking the ball in the end zone on God. The goal is not to win. The goal is to prevail. The goal is to withstand. The goal is to endure. The goal is to persevere. So Jacob wrestles with God. And I just have a feeling that all of us, whether it's self-inflicted or was inflicted on us by others, we all have areas of brokenness, and woundedness, we all have reasons to limp. And I just want to say, in an environment like destiny, where we believe that God supernaturally transforms people, that he touches us, that he, that he heals us, that he can restore us. In, in, a, in an environment where we want to um, inspire and exhort every one of us unto wholeness and to holiness, I think it's important that we remind ourselves nobody's running into holiness. We all limp our way in. We all are deeply broken and wounded. And so I wanted to just talk a little bit about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus with a limp. Because you not only limp your way in, we actually limp our way on. And I want to help us understand some things about limp. So if you have your notes, if you grabbed a little note in the back, or you can open up your app if you want to do that, uh, Destiny app. But we're just going to have a couple things maybe. I've just been looking for somebody to tell you're here, so I'm just going to tell you. Not even going to blame this one on God. I'm just joking. Man, this is a hard crowd this morning. But Jesus, help me. The first thing I just want to say about limping is the limping does not invalidate your progress as a disciple. A limping disciple is a disciple nonetheless. A limping saint is a saint nonetheless. In fact, when you look at those who actually were disciples of Jesus, it seems like a prerequisite you had to be messed up. I mean, you got James and John who want to rain down fire on a whole town. I mean, that's almost genocide. That's what they want to do, and they think it's a good idea and think God would be supportive of it. you got Peter who, tries to, who cuts a man's ear off, and just to be frank, he wasn't aiming for his ear. Right? Then we're not even talking about Judas yet. These are Jesus' disciples, and to think that somehow that all transforms, I just want to help you think about it. You have Peter uh, towards the end of the Gospels on the night that Jesus was crucified. Um, because of his fear of the Jews, he lied and betrayed Jesus three times. Everybody remember that? And then after Pentecost, when the whole, 50 days later, when the Holy Spirit fills him, he preaches boldly to the same crowd that crucified Jesus. Like, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But you fast forward 15 20 years later and the book of Galatians Paul has to confront Peter again Galatians 2:12 because he feared the Jews 20 years later the apostle still has a limp he's still broken Paul the Apostle, towards the end of his life, says he's the chief among sinners. And that's just not like a a general uh, act of humility. He actually is saying, the more I know God, the more I know the depth of my ruin. I'm the chief among sinners. To say that means he used to sin is to miss the whole point of what Paul was trying to say. All of Christ's disciples were limping disciples. So limping doesn't disqualify you from being a disciple of Christ because your self-righteousness is not what qualified you in the first place. It was his invitation to you. It was his kindness extended to us. So number one is that your struggles don't, your limping doesn't invalidate your progress as a disciple. And the next thing we want to see is that your struggles are actually seen by God. God knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows the pain of your childhood. He knows the difficulty of your adolescence. He knows the disappointment of your adulthood. And just to be frank, it's not over yet. You're going to have more pain, more difficulty, and more disappointment. But what you can know is that God is there with you in that. He sees it all. I don't know how many times, but I have to remind myself of this. Like, while I was his enemy, God knows all the stupid stuff I'm going to do, and yet the verdict's in. He loves me in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm surprised at some of the stupid stuff I do, but God's never surprised at the stupid stuff I do. I never catch him off guard. He never looks over at the angels and goes, Well, I didn't see that one coming Did you boys. That's good. He he sees our struggle. Psalms 56.8 says, God collects our tears in a bottle. You only collect things that are precious to us. God knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows what you've had to endure. He knows the brokenness and the woundedness. Let's be clear about the difference. Brokenness is when you come in touch with your own ruin. That deep in you is the readiness to do evil if it's just put in the right context woundedness is when somebody sins against you and it wounds you you listen carefully people talk about the brokenness they're actually talking about the woundedness it's not just what people have done to you brokenness is i realize in the depths of my soul that i am ruined if i'm left to my own devices i can think of some pretty evil things we're both broken and ruined i remember years ago i was asked by a a uh, person at, in our church at the time, if I would go see uh, uh, a, another deacon in another church's son, there I was in the hospital room of a 30-year-old man dying of age because of life he's chosen to live. And I could see the shame and the fear and the guilt, that he's trying to figure out a way to, to just find Jesus. And I just had to tell him, if you think Jesus is standing at the foot of your bed saying, you got what you deserved then your Jesus is my devil. Jesus stands at the foot of that man's bed and he weeps with him. God knows our struggles and he sits there in it with us. He, he knows us. And not only does he know our struggles, he, God values our progress. You see, it's only when we're trying to make, you only know someone's limping when they're moving. Right? If you, you can't tell if someone's limping if they're sitting still. It's when we're trying to make progress. It's when we're trying to obey. It's when we're trying to passionately follow Jesus. It's when we're wanting to say yes to God. It's, it's there we discover how deep the brokenness goes, how deep the depravity really is, how bad the limp really is. It's when we attempt to make progress that we actually discover it. But nonetheless, God values the progress. Like a parent, he's not going, uh, like a parent of a child learning to walk. God's not going, hey, my son fell down 672 times. No, my son took two steps today. My son took two steps today. So I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know how bad the brokenness and limps are. Just know that God is with you in it, and he values your progress. He's there with you and he's actually celebrating you as each step we take towards him. He's not sitting back with his arms crossed going, Well, it's about time. He's there with you in it. The enemy of our souls will try to convince us of two separate lies. The first lie is there's no need to pursue holiness, there's no need to pursue obedience. God loves you anyway. That's a lie. God wants your obedience. God wants you to have a life and a life to the fullest, which is why he calls you to obedience. But then once you try to obey, the second lie will be to just pour on the shame and guilt and convince you that you should give up, that you're never going to be able to make it, that it's, it's too hard, I should just quit. Both are lies, and I want to tell you right now, you will not have enough. Your your emotional state at that time, your feelings will never be enough to overcome shame and guilt. The only thing that can overcome it is the truth of God's word. And then deeply receiving that truth and experiencing God's love in the midst of it. You can't outperform inward shame. It's got to be loved out. But the only reason why it's loved out is we come to believe the truth of the scriptures, that God does actually love me. Not because I think that's a good idea, but because the Bible says that he loves me. It's like the, the truth is the only thing that can combat those lies. That if you wait until you feel something different, it's not gonna work. That's why you gotta honestly, this is one of why one of the best spiritual practices that we can do in these kinds of moments is to memorize scripture. And to memorize portions of scripture that will help us cling to what is true in these moments. Both are lies, and we need to fill our minds with the truth. So God values our progress. The second thing we need to point about the limp, or the whatever number, the next thing, let's put it that way. You might be limping, but at least you're moving. I said that earlier, I got ahead of myself, right? One cannot tell if you're sitting down whether or not you're limping. But the worst thing you can do when you're limping is to try to take rest, because you're not going to want to get back up. So here's the deal. You might be limping, but the next point is very, very simple. Limp towards God, Okay, you're limping, but limp towards God. Limp towards the scriptures. Limp towards community. Limp towards vulnerability. Limp towards spiritual practices. Limp towards prayer. Limp towards vulnerability. Limp towards God. You might be limping. Okay, but at least which way are you headed? You can tell what you believe to be true about God's grace and his character by what you do when you find your brokenness. Are you limping towards him or limping away from him? You might be limping, but limp towards God. I was trying to figure out what is that, how do we explain what limping looks like? How do we, what's a good analogy And wrestling, you know, reading from Bonhoeffer to Willard to all kinds of different people. I thought, well, let's just go with the Bible. That makes the most amount of sense. King David is a great picture of what it looks like to limp towards God. Y'all know the story. David sees Bathsheba, right? He calls her to himself, he seduces her, he sleeps with her, and in the process, he impregnates her. And now, struggling to cover it up, he calls her husband, who's at war defending David, calls David. Calls Uriah back in, asks for a report, Uriah gives it, and then he urges Uriah to go spend some time and evening with Bathsheba, his wife. But what he underestimates is the character of Uriah. And let's be honest, Uriah's character got him killed. Look, there's worse things than dying. We spend so much time trying to figure out reasons to live, but really, if we can figure out what things in life are worth dying for, we'll be ahead of the game. Uriah says, how in the world can I go and spend an evening with my wife when my men are out in the field sleeping in tents? life at risk. At least let me sleep on the steps of the temple and guard it. So he does. He Uriah sends him back, and Uriah turns to his right-hand man, Joab. If you ever know, you ever read anything about Joab, Joab is one bad hombre. Joab's the kind of guy that if you need somebody to bust a cap on someone, Joab's your guy, and you will probably do it for like a box of chicken. but he's that mean throughout the whole Bible. Joab is not a dude you want to mess with. And so David tells Joab, we're going to go storm the Amorites. And uh, as you do, I want you to pull back and leave Uriah. And that's what they do. And Uriah dies defending Israel at David's command. David waits the appropriate amount of time. He marries Bathsheba and thinks it's all gone and covered up. Till a few years later, a prophet shows up named Nathan. I don't know about you, but (laughs) anytime somebody says, hey, a prophet's on the phone for you, what do you think? Right? Nathan comes in and says, David, we have a problem. There is this man who had one beautiful lamb and a rich man who had all of these other lambs. And the rich man had guests over, and he didn't want to sacrifice any of his lambs, so he went to his neighbor and stole his beautiful lamb and killed it to feed his crowd. And David says, well, you know, probably thinking, I'm glad I thought this was going to be about me, but I'm glad it's not. Uh, Let's kill him. And then he backtracks and goes, no, how about this? How about we tax him four times the usual amount? And Nathan says, that man's you. What you just decreed should be done for this hypothetical situation is actually you. Now listen, this is important to remember. That war is over. David's king. Joab is still there in the room. All David has to say is turn to Joab and say, kill him. And Joab kills Nathan. They bury his body somewhere underneath some concrete. You know, like, I know you're thinking, is At like, you know, interested in the mafia or something? But look, he could have done all that. Look, no, no kingdom wants a scandal. There's only one person that knows. Here's the point. The point is that was actually the test, and David passes it. And David says, Nathan, you're right. He goes into his room, and he writes a song, and he takes it to the um, choir master, and he gives him the song, and he says, I want you to sing this in the temple, and I want you to teach it to everyone else. And having written it down, it became a song that was sung for thousands of years. You can imagine the choir master going, are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, put it to music and sing it. How about we just take the, the preface off of it? No, leave it, and I want you to sing it. And what David penned is psalms 51 and i want to just read it to you just portions of it just for a moment if you would just close your eyes and imagine david in this situation this is what david writes with his own hand have mercy on me O god according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy would you blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight, so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. with a willing spirit. This is a great picture of what it looks like to limp towards God. David is a broken man. But notice a couple things. David does not seek moral equivocation. He's not trying to justify himself. He didn't say, well, if Uriah would have just done what I told him to do. He doesn't say, well, Bathsheba hadn't been bathing on a roof. See, he makes no excuses. He doesn't blame. He owns it and says, against you and you alone have I sinned. To blame is to pull the parking brake on growth. If you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to limp towards God, then you need to just set blame down and pick up ownership. David owns his stuff. But listen, he's blown it. He's broken. We all are. But he owns it. Now that is different. That's limping towards God. He owns his sin. The next thing we see just briefly is is David does not just want to be, he just doesn't want to appease the law. He wants to be cleansed. He wants God's cleansing power. He actually says, take your hyssop branch. The hyssop branch is what they would dip blood in of the lamb and sprinkle it all over the temple, cleansing things. thousand years. Before Jesus would come, David is actually saying, "If you wanted bulls and goats, I'd give that, but that's not what you want. Take your hyssop branch, dip it in your blood, God, and wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow." You see how he's clinging to God. He's throwing himself upon God, saying, "God, there's, the only way this works is if you cleanse me." He doesn't go, "I promise to do better." He doesn't. "I promise my firstborn." He doesn't say, I'll give you half of Israel. He doesn't try to bargain with God. He throws himself upon God's mercy and says, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That's what it looks like to limp towards God. He doesn't just want to be forgiven, but you can hear the cry for intimacy. David desires intimacy. He doesn't just want to get out of of jail free card. He wants to know God. And that's why you can hear his cry in it. Don't take your spirit from me. That's what it looks like to limp towards God. David knew what the apostle Paul would later explain in Romans 6. That to be saved, that to experience the life that God intends for us to experience, the only way to do that is to be united with God. Now David didn't have the language yet. He didn't know he didn't he could foresee some things, but Jesus hadn't come yet. Paul explains to us that this is actually what we're celebrating in baptism. That we'll celebrate next week that I've been united with him into his death. And that I've been resurrected out of that water. I come out and I've been united to Christ in his life. In other words, the thing that saves me is not that I pleaded for help. The thing that saves me is now I've been united forever with Christ. I I cling to him. His death is my death. His life is my life. His righteousness, my righteousness. He clings there. David saw this a thousand years beforehand. And he's clinging to Jesus or God Paul's helping us learn to cling to Jesus. So, limp towards God. This is a great picture, in my opinion, of what it looks like to limp towards God. And the amazing thing is, God hears David. David is still forever known as a man after God's own heart. Why? Not because he was perfectly righteous. Because he learned how to limp towards God and cling to him. What are you clinging to? God redeems. We know that Solomon comes from David and Bathsheba, becomes the next king. God redeems. Not only does God redeem it that way, but Jesus, if you look at his genealogy uh, of his mother Mary, all the way back, Jesus comes from Bathsheba. God redeems it. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know where you are. I don't know the depths of your brokenness. And I don't know about you. Maybe the only reason why I'm teaching on this right now is because I had family here all week. Anybody be around family long enough? And you go, yeah, I'm broken. Whew. Yeah, I don't know. It's like let's cram everybody into a house and, you know, survive for three days and see what happens. God redeems it. He can redeem our limps. So we limp towards God. What are some practical ways we can do that? Well, one way, uh, a set of ways that we learn to limp is engaging in the spiritual practices, something that we'll be talking about more in the weeks to come. But we limp towards God by, by learning and limping in prayer. Listen, pray. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are at it. God's not really, it's hard to impress a God who knows what you're going to say before you say it, right? Don't worry about are you a good prayer or a bad prayer. Be honest and vulnerable and listen when you pray. But limp towards God in prayer. Limp towards God in the scriptures. We, we have the practice of turn the page, right? Old-fashioned Bible, write the date on the top. You read the page and you turn it. We limp towards God by engaging in his word. Look to that. That's a great practice. The Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved. Maybe something you need to do is go find the scriptures uh, that, and study them and meditate on the scriptures that you need to hear about. Maybe it's about God's goodness to you in the middle of your brokenness. Maybe it's about forgiveness or maybe it's about the, the power of Jesus to overcome the enemy. I don't know what it is you need, but that's a way we limp towards God by engaging with the scriptures, by study and meditation and memorization. And we limp towards God. Another way is to limp towards God by engaging in community. Let me ask you a question. If I was to ask you, is there one person who actually knows what you felt this week? Could you give me one person? If I said, okay, great. Now take it outside of your marriage and family. Is there one person, friend or member of the church or community group, who actually knows what you felt this week, what you experienced? Is there one person? We limp towards community by learning how to be vulnerable. You know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but do you take 12 steps or like celebrate recovery. One of the beautiful things about it, one of the reasons why it's so consistently powerful is it has nothing really to do with the teacher and the teaching. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. It has to do with a group of people that know you and yet are still there. They know the depths of your brokenness, and they're there, and then you give them a gift, and that gift is to listen and to love them back. There's something about being known that's healing. So, if you're going to limp towards God, then do it by limping towards community and engaging in it there. Look, God invites us to wrestle with Him over the dark places of our soul. That's the invitation this morning. But you need to know, again, you will not win. You will not win. In fact, you will become more aware of your depravity and brokenness because you wrestled with him. So your question to me might be, or at least my question to somebody teaching this message would be then why would I wrestle with God? (laughs) Because the blessing is you get to see God. Jacob wrestles with God, and he, yes, he's, he's blessed, but he's not blessed. God's not like, hey, be blessed and go now. Your life will be perfect and easy. Jacob is still limping across the river to face a brother who wants to kill him. He's still limping into the death of his wife. He's still limping into the death of his father. His life's still filled with pain and struggle. So what's the blessing? The blessing is you got to see the face of God. Well, I don't know what you got going on with your life, but what's more important than that? Like, what are you really doing with your life that means more than that? You won't win if you wrestle with him, but you get to see him. You get to be touched by the living God. So we we get in there and we scrap it out with him, knowing we can't win. But if we endure, we'll see him. And having seen him, he will change us. Jacob doesn't change his name. God changes Jacob's name. And look, I've heard so many misinterpretations of the name Israel. I have no problem adding my own misinterpretation to it. (laughs) Uh, In the context of uh, Genesis 32, the name Israel, in that context, it is you've seen the face of God and you weren't destroyed. That's pretty much the way it interprets. You got to see God's face and you still live to tell about it. That's the blessing. The blessing isn't now you get all the parking spots up front. The blessing isn't all your sickness gets to be healed all the time. The blessing isn't life's going to go easy. The blessing is I am mere broken and wounded and mortal. No, God, I got to see him, and I got to be touched by him. And I get to continue, though I'm limping and broken, to limp with him. And that becomes the deep blessing of my life is I get to do life with God. So, you won't win, but the blessing is you'll get to see and be touched by him. We often don't see God because we refuse to wrestle with him. If you want to see more of God, then I might invite you to pray a pretty dangerous prayer. God, is there any area of my soul that you want to wrestle with me over that I'm avoiding? We often don't see God because we refuse to wrestle with him. Look, I, some of my biggest regrets that I've been reflecting on, I'm turning 40 and that feels like I'm ancient, uh, but as I've just been thinking and reflecting and even writing some things down for my children, and one of my biggest regrets is not the uh, money I didn't make or the opportunities I didn't take or the sermons I didn't preach or the failures and bad decisions I made. Some of the biggest regrets in my life are the times where God invited me to wrestle with him over areas of my soul. And whether out of self-absorption or just laziness, I refused. So, if we want to see God, let's wrestle with Him. You won't win, but you'll see Him, and having seen Him, you'll be changed. And look, at the end of the day, let me put it maybe put it more in a, in a witness sense, a ecclesiastical sense, a church sense. Um, what a sinful world needs. Is not a sinless church because that's actually not real. I mean, just to get into this thing, you got to be like, I'm utterly ruined and broken. <laughs> I need Jesus to save me. Oh, now you're in. You know, right? I got faith in Jesus to do that. Right? The, the, a sinful world doesn't need a sinless church because that's not actually real. What a sinful world needs is a limping church that will limp towards God and give hope to the rest of the world that know deep down they are broken too. I pray that we are a community that will help people limp towards God. In fact, I think we're one of the better communities I've been a part of that know how to help people limp towards God. And we ought to celebrate the fact, not that everybody here doesn't have limps. (laughs) Celebrate the fact that everybody here does, and we're learning to limp together towards God. Parents, if I can encourage you, as your kids get of age, show them that you limp. You don't know the pressure and the unnecessary burden we place on our kids by pretending to be perfect. Let them see it. And show them that, yes, they're going to limp too, but there's something we can do with it. We can own it and we can limp towards God. Listen, at the end of the day, they know that you're broken. (laughs) We might as well name it. They're going to figure it out. Listen, if you try to make destiny or the church the thing that changes you, then we'll fail you. But if this can be a place that we all learn to limp towards God, and we wrestle with God, and we see God, then what we'll find is God is the one that changes us. And we may not even know how, we may not even know when, we'll just know that. I'm still limping, but God's touched me, I'm different. So let's limp towards God together. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come and... um, Class 2A Arkansas State track meet tournament. Little uh, Oak Ridge High School. Pulling into the the field where the tournament will be held. First time they've ever made it. Everybody's wondering the same thing. Who's going to run the long distance for Sean? Because Sean's home terribly sick. Coach stands up on the bus as it's pulling in and says, you know, encourages his guys. Here we go. And then he turns and says, I know everyone is wondering who's gonna run long distance for Sean. Timmy, you're gonna run long distance. Timmy has tried out for the team and not made it the last two years. He's the team manager, which is a fancy way of saying, water boy. Timmy says, Coach, I, I've never ran long distance and I've never tried. And all the coach says is, Timmy, all we need you to do is finish. Just finish. Now the race comes and, and it goes. And as people are leaving and the team is moving back to the bus, they hear the coach screaming, turn the lights back on. Turn the lights back on. Timmy's still out there. The team comes back to see what's going on. When the lights turn back on, the people that were headed towards the parking lot stop and turn around and murmuring begins. A few moments later, Timmy rounds the corner into the stadium, legs burning, limping, hands heavy down to his side. He's basically walking, but he looks like he's trying to run. And the coach and his teammates start cheering him on. And slowly but surely, the crowd picks up and starts to yell and cheer Timmy on until Timmy makes the final lap around the stadium and falls across the finish line into his coach's arms. He hears the crowd screaming for him, and he says, Coach, did I win? <laughs> Coach says, No, Timmy. But you finished. The Bible talks about the Christian life as a race, but it's not against one another. The goal is not to be holier than someone else. The goal is to keep limping and one day fall headlong across the finish line into God's arms and and have finished. I don't know the pain of your life. I don't know the brokenness and the depravity. I don't know all that. All I know is limp on and limp with courage and limp towards God. And we're here to help you limp as best we know how. But don't sit down and know your legs burn. Keep going because God is with you. God is with you. Would you stand with me? The GP2RL, the God's presence to real life today, is ask God if you're avoiding wrestling with him over anything in particular, anything in your life. Are you avoiding wrestling with God? And just listen. And if there is something, would you share that with a person that you trust? Just ask him, Lord, is there something you want to wrestle with me over that I'm avoiding? And then share that with someone you trust. We're going to enter. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come. We're going to enter back into worship. This time is important. It gives you a chance to respond and have ministry take place. There's communion in the back. If you're here and we've mentioned baptism a couple times and that's something important to you, now's the time to grab that Connect card and fill it out. There's giving stations in the back if you'd like to worship with tithes and offerings. There's also communion in the back. We're going to take a moment. And worship and give people a chance to respond as they feel led. And this is a moment where we can minister to one another and we can respond in worship to God. So, Father, I thank you for this family. I thank you for your grace and your favor. I thank you that you're not requiring us to not limp. that you're inviting us to limp with you and limp towards you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and convict as necessary, encourage where needed? Yeah, we just thank you for your presence. Would you just come, Holy Spirit? Would you just um, take a moment and respond as you feel that?